Today, I'm joined by one of the top football podcasters going, Neil Dunworth from For the Love of Paul McGrath. Neil, it's great to have you back on again. Uh, so we're most of the way through the transfer window now. Aston Villa have signed Alex Moreno and uh, John Duran, and uh, there could well be more to come. What have you made of Aston Villa's transfer window so far? Uh, well, firstly, thanks for that introduction. Um, <laughs> no I've, got, I've, I've got serious uh, imposter syndrome sitting here now <laughs> after that, <laughs> that, that introduction. But uh, thanks very much. But yeah, Aston, Aston Villa's transfer window is... Um, look, this is always going to be an interesting transfer window. When you change managers midway through the season, I think it's important to to look with, uh, I suppose, uh, with uh, a, a kind of a casting eye on, on who comes through the door. And uh, and the names, I suppose, really, that we've been linked with have been have been different. I think mm. I think that's fair to say, you know, it's been a different demographic of player. Um, I think it's fair to say that should we have still had the previous guy in charge, uh, Steve, if Stephen Gerrard was still in charge, that I, I don't think we would be linked with names from such far-flung climbs as Colombia or Chicago, mm. via Chicago and, and, and Real Betis. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something I think that Aston Villa have to exploit. They have to exploit those markets, you know. Um, and I think that so far, so good, I suppose, really, with a signing that I'm not sure anybody really thought we needed in Alex Moreno, as mm-hmm. in... I, I could see the benefits in it that, that we're getting in a completely different type of player to Luca Dean. Um, and he showed it in his first game. He showed it in his first 40 minutes of play yeah. that he was more direct attacking threat and yeah. um, was a bit nervous, but 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 we've seen him already. And look, I think everybody's chomping at the bit and licking their lips to see what John Duran brings. Albeit that there is a, an element of um, how would I put a caution out there with regards to him, with regards to what he can, what he can bring to Aston Villa in the short term. Um, mm-hmm. whether he'd be a long-term signing. Um, and I think that I think that there would be an ungodly spike in uh, in, in viewers from Birmingham. And and uh, it, well, there'll be definitely one here anyway on Friday night watching the Colombian under 20s. Uh, so I think the time ratings in Colombia will be uh, very much skewed. They'll be wondering, why are there so many people in the Birmingham area ch- <laughs> yeah. tuning in? Because I think everybody's going to want to see him. Um I, uh, with regards to, to, to yeah, I, th- I think really we haven't really got the wheels in motion in the transfer window so far. John Duran came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like he was he was somebody that Unai Emery was looking to sign even a Villarreal. Um, right. There's talks that people like Nicholas Jackson are, are on their way to Southampton. That, I think, was somebody that a lot of Villa fans thought that Emery might, might snap up. But I beginning to kind of move away from the thought process that Emery goes back to players that he had success with. Yeah. And, you know, we've got Naren Danjuma on the market and he may very well just prove me completely wrong. Hey, he could, he could, he might've signed for Villa since we bloody started this. <laughs> yeah. really waiting for the Instagram notification to come up right now. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's, it's, it, it could have like, it could happen and I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't be averse to that, but um, it's going to be really interesting last 12 days of the transfer with 13 days of the transfer window to see uh, who does come through the door and if uh, at what areas I think that Emery wants to strengthen. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's very hard to predict what who Villa are going to sign, um, considering that most of us tend to just appear out of nowhere. It's just Johan Lang smiling next to somebody who you're like, oh, we were after them. Great. 
Mm. Um, so uh, I am sometimes reluctant to believe that the names we're heavily linked with ever end up at Villa and instead we should just wait and see who does turn up just out of the blue. But, um, you know, I guess we'll start with Alex Moreno, actually. I mean, you mentioned him just there. You know, he he had uh, he really grew into the side, I thought, on his debut. Um, and I think you're right. I think what he he almost looked a bit like he could be a winger at times, like he yes. could play ahead of Luca Dean. And that is a tactic that I think uh, Emery liked to use at Villa, Villarreal um, when he had uh, two left-backs playing, you know, one in front of the other, I guess. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of people would say we already had Luca Dean, but do you kind of see why Emery went for Moreno? I do. Um, it's it styles make fights, I think. Hmm. Um, like uh, one of the best, uh, I mean, oh my god, I can't remember who. It's just I'm just blanked on who said it. Was uh, one of the best descriptions of Luca Dean was Luca Dean gets on the end of the end of the attack. And is kind of like a stand and deliver guy. He's going to cross that ball in from 15 yards outside the box. And you know what you're getting from Luca Dean. Right. Rarely drives into the box. Alex Moreno had two shots against uh, against Leeds in 81 minutes. You know, he was not um, afraid to drive into the box. He was not afraid to get to the to get to the edge of the box and cut that ball back. And he's just a completely different player. Yeah. And when you mentioned there that we could have both of those at times on the left-hand side, I wouldn't be too surprised if that was the actual plan for mm. parts of this season. Um, and then potentially, you know, to to phase maybe somebody, maybe phase Luca Dean out because I think, you know, Luca Dean, a fantastic crosser of the ball, but do we misuse those crosses considering we've got two strikers who don't score ahead of goals? <laughs> like it's it's a it's yeah. it's all well and good having a fantastic uh, having four four tires or four four wheels for a car, and then you've got a motorbike outside. You know, yeah. it just doesn't make sense um, when, when we do things like that. So um, with, with Alex Moreno coming in, we've gotten a glimpse. I think that, yes, what we've seen is very, very uh, enthralling and enticing. There's mm. going to be video on him over the course of the next few days and weeks. Or sorry, over the next few weeks, should I say, next few games that we play. Um, I would expect teams will cotton on to the fact that he's going to drive at them and it'll be up to them to stop him. Um, and I think that there will be days where he will maybe lose possession a small bit more when he does go on his dribbles. And I'm I'm OK with that as long as, uh, as, as I say, as long as, um, as you know, the structure and the way that Luna Emery wants us to defend can cover for that. But so far, so good with Alex Moreno. Fantastic, fantastic signing or fantastic first 81 minutes and long may it continue in the Premier League. Yeah, totally. It was a really impressive start to his career. Um, and then we sort of move on to Duran. Um, I mean, again, that kind of, I would say that came out of nowhere, but you did do a mm. uh, profile piece on him for uh, your own podcast. So I am wondering if you and Lang listened to that and thought, you know what, uh, let's get him in now. Uh, Neil knows what he's talking about. Um, but no, I mean, uh, you know, uh, what do you think he brings to Villa that we may not necessarily have in our current forward line? Um, it's kind of hard to know. Yeah, but it's hard to know. And, and the reason I think it's hard to know is because he played with literally nobody around him in Chicago for Chicago Fire. They were yeah. a poor team. Everybody mentioned it. I, I Tom Boggart uh, and, and, and he said that, you know, they were a poor, they were a poor Chicago Fire team. They probably won't be much longer considering they've raked in the cash from um, from that goalkeeper that went to Chelsea and and, and now this man. Yeah. Um, but uh, he is like so. What what he what he'll bring will be probably more direct threat. Uh, obviously, he's going to bring height. We we have strikers that are six foot at the moment, but they're not very they're not very built. If that's mm. the if that's the phrase I would use. Um, 
like any he's it's just going to be a more direct threat that can play straight through the middle. I, I would imagine that if Una Emery is going to play with those two strikers up top, I think it's very much experimental at the moment with Leon Bailey being out, being up there with uh, Ali Watkins. Mm-hmm. If Ali Watkins doesn't start scoring goals, he's going to be rotated in and out of the team. Leon Bailey, as we know, can blow, can blow hot and cold on some days. Thankfully, he was I thought he was fantastic against Leeds and long may that continue. Yeah. But I think Duran just gives you something different. And once again, we go back to the to the Alex Moreno, compar- Moreno comparison. He, he's something different. He's a kind of a, he, he's somebody that you can play the ball up to that they can hold on to it. What I like about John Duran is he shoots more. He shoots, he, he has more shots per 90 minutes than our, our two strikers, an awful lot more. But he also works like, like uh, a man possessed up top as well. Mm. And one thing I will say about the MLS is physical fitness in the MLS is, is quite high. Like say what you like about, about American sports. They know how to get people super ultra mega fit, oh, and yeah, and yeah. he's he, he's very much able to get around get around the field up there and to and to use his his uh, his, his body weight, his body size, his body composition up there as well. So maybe he's he I think he has a lot of that work rate of Vanali Watkins, albeit that I think Watkins' engine is 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 unparalleled at times. You know I think it's fantastic. The John Duran may be able to come in there, but just give that maybe a bit more muscle up top. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he. he He's finishing. The more I've kind of watched of him, his finishing is very deft in the way that he opens his body. You can see he's a natural finisher. Um, from 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 the goals that he scored, he opens his body. Somebody likened him to Nicholas Anelka and the way he does that. And uh, if we could get if we get fifty percent of of prime Nicholas Anelka out of Jean Duran, I think we'll all be swinging from the rafters with delight. Um, you know, with our tops off, drinking cider or whatever we want yeah. to drink. You know, so it'd be absolutely fantastic. So it'd be absolutely brilliant if we could get that. But um, I just think once again that Unai Emery wants different types of players. He's uh, tactically fluid in a lot of ways, and uh, I think John Duran fits that for a decent price. And look, there's an awful lot of teams that wanted to sign him because he's only turned 19 years of age and he's already 4,000 minutes played. Yeah, I mean, we heard the other day, you know, Manchester United uh, inquired about him and a fair few other Premier League teams were in on in for him as well. So it does feel like a slightly unusual Aston Villa signing, actually. It feels like something mm. out of the blue and from South America as well. It's uh, just something you're not associated with Villa. So exciting times indeed, I think. But, you know, you you look at Villa at the moment, you you... Do you, is there any sort of part of this, the team where you think I wouldn't mind seeing some improvement there in the transfer window? Mm. I am probably going to cop a small bit of heat for this, but I would like a centre half. Um, right. I want. I would like a centre half. I know we've got Diego Carlos coming back, but um, I, I, I think I think I've seen enough in you, in, and it's probably unfair of me to say this, but I. Um, I would like to see more, I think is how I'm going to phrase it, of, of mm. Chambers and Bednarek. Um, I'd like to see them be able to offer more. I don't think they're going to be able to offer more in this system. So another centre-half to tie this over, I think, would, would be welcome. Obviously, there's no point in bringing in a sixth centre-half. It would be consequent of somebody going out. Um, pace. I, I would like to see Pace then up, uh, up up top, maybe in, in the form of a winger or maybe another wide, wide forward. Mm. I was... Like I'm, I'm very high in on, on the fit of uh of a Gunduzi within this team, um because I I think if you've got a midfield that can outwork other teams, you always have a chance. You always have a chance. You yeah. you just do. Liverpool's 
everybody used to say Liverpool's success was built on their fullbacks. The only reason their fullbacks could get up the field was because they had three people in midfield that worked like demons. And yeah. I think if you've going to a uh, Douglas Luiz, who's really come into his own, and of course, just the ghost in their midfield that just glides around the field and always pops up in front of people and gets the ball off them. Bubakar Kamara, what a fantastic player. I think yeah. if you like, you could really solidify that, that, that in what we can nearly call an interior of your midfield with a load of players, with three players under the age of 24, um, all on the up and all full of energy. I think that that would be a, a real dream for me, to be honest. So if I was, if I was doing Emery in the morning and I was saying my, my, um, Long-term need for me would be at centre-half. My short-term need would be as uh, maybe in more pace in the wing positions. But I think if I had the choice between all three, uh, between all the three positions, I would be prioritising another midfielder to come in there, to have a rotation of midfielders um, that can maybe play that wide right or that wide, wide left position, but also hunker down in the middle of midfield and make things difficult for teams and outwork teams in there too. Yeah, I, th- I think if Guendouzi, you know, ever did come off, I think... The, the tactical variety it can offer to the team is, you know, quite special. Um, could potentially be a three with Douglas, you know, ahead of Douglas Louise and Kamara, um, mm. a four as well. Um, and he just has a certain bite and nastiness that I think for many years, Aston Villa have probably lacked, to be honest. Mm. And um, we currently probably have it in, in um, Emmy Martinez in goal. Uh, so to have it outfield as well would, uh, I think, just be another nice addition for us to be a team that people just don't enjoy playing against and they don't like mm. the days out of Villa Park. So I am quite hopeful that the Guendouzi one would come off, but at the moment, it you know, we just have to wait till the end of the transfer window to see if there's any possibility. I, I'm less hopeful. I'm less hopeful yeah. that the, the Guendouzi or Weston McKinney, like, I don't think we, I, I don't think we wake up tomorrow morning and we see Matteo Guendouzi has, has agreed to sign for Aston Villa. I yeah. think this is one that might happen the 31st of January if it's going to happen at all. Um, I just, I'm less hopeful that we get that type of player in, uh, well, Guendouzi or uh, Weston McKinney in through the door I'm, I'm at the moment. Yeah, I sort of, I'm with you on that, and uh, but I, th- I think um, Delafuego is another link that hasn't really gone away. Uh, you know, he's at Udinese at the moment. He had a really good season last year in Serie A. Um, do you, do you think there's any possibility of that one coming off? And could you see what he'd offer the team? Yes. Um, when we talk about direct running, we talk about dribbling, we talk about players who are on the ascent. Albeit that he's only what a couple of months off, 29 years of age, and I always caveat that. Um, just because it, it's important, you know, I, th- I think it's important to, to not throw the baby out with backwater and say that, yes, he can come in and give us two years. And we could be in two years of like in two years time, we could have we will have an overhaul of players like the likes of our, our, our backline will not be the same. Our four, mm. our four backs will not be the same in, in, in two years time. You know, so it's important to kind of think about where that upheaval in that squad uh, I suppose that squad evolution is going to come from and how how diff- like we will be concentrating on defensive purchases I think for the for in in June um, I think that's where we will look at. Um, so when I say about Jared Delafeo, um he, he's he's coming up in 29 but if you look at his career he's got steadily better uh, from the from the years of when he was at 19 to 21 uh, playing with Everton in the Premier League when he first joined the Premier League He's coming off the back of Barcelona B appearances. I think he was rather he was a naive player within the Premier League 
um, structures at that stage. Uh, mm-hmm. Then he goes out on loan. He comes back and he goes to Watford. And I think at Watford, people slept on his ability at Watford a good bit. Um, I think it was the 2019 or maybe the 2018, 2019 or the 2019, 2020 season where he actually scored 10 goals mm-hmm. for Watford. Yeah. Um, and that got him his move to Udinese. Uh, now, I know there's, there is a, a tie between um, Udinese and, and, and the Watford owners, but since he's gone back to Serie A, a team, a, a, a league which, you know, people talked about John Duran scoring against bad defences and bad goalkeepers. And people talk about in League 1, whenever you be, you're, people are linked to a striker in League 1, they say, oh yeah, but defences are poor there. You can't really say that about Serie A because essentially no. it's built on defence, defence and Catanazio. So... Telefeo's gone back there. He's assisted quite a lot and he scored quite a lot as well. Um, mm. <clears throat> I think Jared Delefeo would love to have the three years he spent at Everton back because I think he, I, I'd say if you were to ask him with with, with truths here, I would say he, say he would say that he kind of made the move a bit too quickly. And now he's actually matured into the player he probably could have been two or three years ago. And right, um, when yeah. he was getting uh, Spanish plaudits in 2018, and he, I think he's four games played for Spain, but that's all dried up now. Um, and I think if you were to ask him about that, he'd like to go like to have those three years back. But he's profiting now from his ability. He knows how to play the game. And for from an Unai Emery point of view, I think he's a direct runner. He has more dribbles. He's more successful dribbles. He's more. He's a better passing rate than, than anybody within our team. So if you're talking about improving our team in the morning, Jared Delfeo does that. And I think the Unai Emery wants a dribbler. He wants somebody who can carry the ball to into attack and 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 carry it excuse me carry it through the transitions and uh and take the heat off our defense that way so if he's looking at the likes of Jared Delafeo or maybe Dan Juma or something like that that's why he's looking at them mm-hmm. and um for me you know you, you just look at the statistics over the last two years uh while Dan Juma was fantastic for Una Emery and he has the the familiarity with him from playing with Villarreal Delafeo has done it better in a league whereby it's probably it is a slower league, but it's a league where it's harder to break down defenses. So there's a lot of give and take between the two players, and uh, um, I can see why we're being linked with both. Yeah, um, I think it, I'd certainly be excited if it did turn up. And uh, as you say, I think um, maybe some fans are slightly the views are slightly coloured by when he was at a uh, Everton a long time ago, where he was all right, but um, yeah, it was at Watford. I remember an FA Cup semi final goal against Wolves. It was an absolutely fantastic finish. Mm. Uh, so. Yeah, and he's only got better since. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be excited by it. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the man himself, Unai Emery. Uh, you know, I'm very excited by him. I'm excited the fact we have a manager who's won so much in Europe uh, and managed, you know, such elite-level clubs, man, now managing Villa. Um, what have you made of his reign so far? It's been... I, I, I would... In the league, I think it's fair to say it's been near flawless. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I was less annoyed about the first half against Wolves as I was about the loss against Liverpool because, and I keep on coming back to it and I keep on talking about it because this will tell you where we are now under Una Emery is that we have a puncher's chance against anybody. May yes. not be the prettiest football at times. We have a puncher's chance. And we missed our two, we missed about five punches in that game, and Liverpool landed their three. That could have genuinely been a 4 4 or a 5 3 to Aston Villa. And I don't think anybody would have, would have uh, given out about it. Um, and, and that's why that one annoys me, I suppose, more, uh, is because you only get so many chances to turn around and start your season with beating Spurs, beating United, beating Liverpool, beating Brighton. Teams all up in the top, well, t- 
teams of of either higher you in the league or are of perceived greater greater uh, grandeur than you. And uh, that would have been that would have been a real massive talking point. Obviously, we've seen the amount of points that he's gotten since he's came in here. And uh, Villa will be top of the league since he's come in um, or joined top of the league, I think it is. So um, I, I must say that, you know, we've, we're seeing something different. We're seeing something that we haven't seen since uh, since John Gregory came in and took over the team. And while both of them have the most beautiful black hair, jet black, <laughs> lovely hair that they can style <laughs> yeah. in such fantastic ways. Um, I think Una Emery is, 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 is doing it his way, just like John Gregory did. Now, obviously, I've, I've neglected to mention the Stevenage game. Um, and for me, I think uh, I, I'm probably an outlier where I put I put the performance of the players. I, I think a manager has to trust his squad. And I yeah. think that uh, I, I, I was OK with the changes that were made. Mm-hmm. I wasn't OK with the with the level of bottle that was shown by the players in, in those last five minutes. Like that game should have been a draw. I'm, I'm at peace with I'm at peace with the fact that we conceded a goal against against Stevenage. I'm not at peace at the fact that we conceded two in four minutes or whatever it was. And that showed such a lack of leadership. And um, mm. I, I think that there will be repercussions for some of those players and we may not see them for a long time for Aston Villa again, if ever, you know, and, you know, the the, the, the cookie has to has to crumble some at some stage, you know, and uh, when I am, seems like he's not afraid to pull that, pull the trigger on those guys that, that are underperforming. Yeah, totally. I agree. I think the Stevenage game, uh, you know, quite rarely do, do I sort of say, you know, the, it, it's on the players, the players are to blame, blah, blah, blah. Because a lot of the time it is just the system that players have been put in. And yeah. I do think that by and large players actually are trying almost most of the time. But oh, I really yeah. think that Stevenage game was a good example of where players resting on the laurels, you know, the final goal, jogging out to stop him from the, uh, the corner. And um, uh, Dendonka just kind of asleep. <laughs> really, when he had possession of the ball and losing it. I I just think that was a player issue. And Emery had every right to trust every single one of them Premier League players who was on the pitch that they should get the job done, Uh, even if they don't play together as a first eleven that regularly. So, yeah, totally with you on that Stevenage game. Um, And as you say, I think there will be repercussions for a few players after that game, really. But, um, you know, do do you think Emery might be the guy who can finally get Villa um, not just potentially back into the top half, which would be very nice, um, but also, you know, potentially Europe itself. Um, Look, (laughs) I thought Dean Smith would get us into Europe as well. Um, I'm sure there was, I'm sure if somebody goes back and clips out of one of the podcasts where we went, we won like three in a row under Stephen Gerrard. I was like, hey guys, we can get into Europe. So, I think oh. I'm, I'm always going to think any manager that we have is going to bring us into Europe. But I yeah. think that the early early signs of Anunay Emery, um, uh, the, the tactical nose that he's shown in these games is kind of it, it's it's almost how you do it to almost negate a honeymoon period, if that makes sense. That new manager bounce. I don't think you could. Some of the tactics we've played have been very stifling tactics. Now, once again, I will come out and I will always say this that if. If you're if people are are, are giving out about the way that Unai Emery has played, you'd never watched him manage Villarreal. <laughs> Absolutely never yeah. ever watched him manage Absolutely. Villarreal. He knows how to clog up the park, and also uh, for pundits to give out about about um, six six in defence at times. Uh, Jose Mourinho won cup after cup after cup about it. No one ever really kind of gave out about him at the time. Um, but to answer your question, I'm like our trajectory is high. Our next run of games will tell an awful lot. Like, like 
I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility to think we beat Southampton and Leicester and then we're in extra six, six points extra. And I think at that stage, you're probably in ninth position, which mm. is insane to say because we've Chelsea and we've Liverpool ahead of us at yeah. this moment in time. Now, I don't think that they drop back. I think another team above probably drops back um, because I, I, I actually still peg both Liverpool and Chelsea to finish in the European positions. I don't think Villa finished in the European positions this year. I I. I I think there will be a reckoning and there will be a, a speed bump somewhere along the way. Yeah. Like we draw two, we lose two, and maybe we lose a game we should never have lost. That's always going to happen, Aston Villa. We've we've no divine right for that not to happen, no matter who's our, our manager is. Um, but I think next year that there's and and I said previously that the, the defense is going to need to be overhauled. And I think that that I think you and Emery understands that. And I think he's going to do that. I think he's going to relish doing that because he's so good at, at, at lining out a defense or a defensive mm. structure within a team. So when we have a, a Luke Dean and Ashley Young, who's probably going to get another contract and, and play on until 38, yet again, making <laughs> me look like a, an idiot because he's only he's only like a month, month younger than me, I think. And uh, my God, like, like, please retire because I feel every, <laughs> bad every time I see you. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we've got him. And then you've got the 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 two center halves, I suppose, who I'll call Diego Carlos, who's going to be 31, maybe going on 32 next year. And, to, and Tyrone Mings is the same. By the way, Tyrone Mings only has a short a short term left in his, his contract as well. So that's something to look at. I think over the next two years that there will be big changes in that back four. And I think Una Emery is the man to do it. And I think he's going to relish doing that because um, if he can solidify the midfield this in this transfer window or maybe in June, get a, get a young core in there, um, build us up the league uh, as, as far as we can go and then have a real crack at making a rock solid defence, then mm-hmm. I think that we could, we could probably look at this and go, guys, if you can't beat us, then we're always within a chance to get into Europe. Yeah, that, that's kind of just exactly where I sit on it as well. And I think that Tottenham game, the 2-0 away, I know Tottenham are in very, mm. well, not good form at the moment. Um, but uh, the way we played them suggested to me that maybe Villa might be a team that are just awkward to play against for, you know, some of the top sides. Yeah. So you can, you know, we've got Man City away in a few weeks and who knows, City could win 5-0. That's just the way they are. But, you know, at the same time, I... I do. I, I have enough confidence in Emery's tactics and uh, Villa's players to think we actually could go there and cause them quite a few more problems than we usually do. Um, so that'll be, I think, for me, quite interesting to watch going forward how we play away at the top teams. Uh, I, I think that might mm. be somewhere where we kind of uh, become a sort of awkward presence. And when you think of it, that's that, that's actually a good way to put it because. I think a lot of people say, oh, they're a dour team to play against uh, or, you know, and we will get that thrown at us because, look, there's a core group of pe- of, of pundits out there who don't want the, the, the apple cart or the cartel, whatever you want to call it, up top to be disturbed. And when mm. you go to a Spurs like that and you play with six behind the ball, then you hit them twice in, in very clinical fashion. Or you go to, even like we did against Leeds, you know, there was murmurings after the game against Leeds. Everybody was, the, and Gary Neville was like, oh, Wilfred Nanto, fantastic. And, yeah. you know, Villa played played negative tactics. And Jesse Marsh said it afterwards. And I'm going, no, what we're like, like if you watch a boxer, there can be good defensive boxers. Floyd Mayweather was a great defensive boxer because yeah. you couldn't hit him, you know. And if you can't hit us, if you can't hit us on the break, if you can't break us down through the middle, yet we can get our uppercuts and our punches away in the form of quick attacking breaks, getting the likes of Bundy into the box, scoring those goals whereby you kick the ball, the goalkeeper can't save it because he didn't expect you to shoot and we're running in and we're bundling it into the back of the net. 
That's what wins you games. And that's what gets you up the league. And I couldn't care less what Jesse Marsh thinks or mm. Gary Neville or any of the rest of them think, because there will come a reckoning where Aston Villa will, you know, if they keep on doing this and keep on winning games, teams will have a, like, like pe- teams will have to copy us mm. as opposed to us being the te- team that are copying other teams. And I quite like to be in that position. I totally agree. And it's like, you know, I've just, for years I've just wanted to see Villa be a team that, you know, Manchester United and Tottenham don't turn up to Villa Park and think, easy, it's a nice day out. We'll just, you know, we'll outplay them and get yeah. the goal we need and outfight them. Um, instead, I, I, I do want um, pundits and uh, opposition players and fans to be like, ah, oh, I really hate playing Villa. Um, there's just yeah. a, there's something about them, you know. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that Leeds game and obviously, you know, Gary Neville was very praised with the Anonso and Anonso was, was good. I think yeah. Ashley Young was excellent. But Ashley for me, good. I thought the player that stood out was um, not just Martinez for the saves he made, but uh, Bubakar Kamara. Um, mm. You know, I-, I wanted to mention him to you. What have you made of him? You know, as far as, I- as I've seen, what a signing he's been. Oh. Thank you, Mr. Gerrard. You know, <laughs> yeah. whoever whoever pressed the button on him. And I, I have to believe it was Stephen Gerrard because that, I always come back to that clip that, you know, y- you can think about maybe some of the post-match and some of the pre-match stuff that Gerrard said that just made no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I always look back is that that he, he must have this kind of empathetic or, or human demeanor as well in outside of having a camera shoved in his face um, and outside of having that competitive, have to put up that competitive shield at all times, because mm. I will never forget that video when Bubakar Kamara came in and he shook hands with him and he spoke to him. He said, oh, Bubba, good to see you. Then he said, where's your dad? Where's your dad? I want to see your dad. I want to talk to your dad. I like that stuff. I think mm. that it's very important. I think a family aspect of it, especially when you're bringing a young kid over, well, 21 years of age. Yeah, I, I, coming into a, a place where he doesn't know the language, you know, you really got to woo, woo the dad and the mom in that situation there. And you got to make sure that they feel comfortable with you because essentially they're still entrusting their kids into your hands, albeit that you're going to pay him shed loads of cash and you're going to set their family and generations of their family up for forever. You know, mm-hmm. they still want to make sure that you're not going to exploit, exploit his career or maybe ruin his career. I like that. And there have been other stories that we've heard as well of um, Stephen Jared having that hands on approach of, I'll go to your house to talk to you. I'll sit down, a cup of tea with you and your parents in your kitchen, and we'll trash it out. And if it, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's okay. And, and so fair play to Stephen Gerrard for that. But I went off on a tangent. But answering your question there, um, Frankie, about, uh, about Bubakar Kamara, he's just an effortless player. Yes. And it's it's great to see see that uh, that he like like the, he was in the wrong position when he broke for that that goal against Leeds. I don't care what anyone says. There is no way that Bubakar Kamara should have been in that position. But on the other side, he was the only player that was uh, was alert to the fact that, hey, there's a break on here. There's, like He was on the edge of the area and he goes, there's a break on here. He took five or six steps forward. Next thing he receives the ball and he was gone like lightning. Um, and I castigated him for not letting the ball go a bit earlier to Bailey, but he, he let it go at, at, at the right time because obviously we scored a goal from it. But things that he does is... He doesn't dive into tackles. He's able to take the ball from players. Players don't know he's around the place. He's wearing slippers inside there. You know, he's like he's he's like a ninja inside there. The way he, <laughs> co- he comes from the back of people, takes the ball off them, and 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 uh, he's he's been pretty decent in the air as well. And yeah, like like he's going to be a player that other fans are going to kind of go. He's not that good, is he? And <laughs> we're like we'd be looking at him going, man. We've seen him for the last twenty yeah. games. He's really good. 
He's really yeah. good. Um, and uh, long may it continue and give him a contract every six months if you need to, but yeah. tie him down for life. Yeah, please do, because he's uh, what a start he's had. It just looks like the perfect CDM, really, which we've been screaming out for for years at Villa. Um, so, uh, Neil, it's been uh, absolutely brilliant to have you on. Before you, before you do go, um, can I just fight, you know, I'm sure almost everybody who's listening and watching this, you know, or listens to uh, For the Love of Paul McGraw, but for those who maybe haven't, where can we find you online? Yeah, I do most of my business under the cover of darkness and Twitter um, in whatever that is at the moment. And you can find me at Love McGrath Pod there. As I say, we do we do a, a, a number of podcasts each week, sometimes four, sometimes five, sometimes six, uh, depending on what news breaks. But um, yeah, as I say, you find us on YouTube for the Love of Paul McGrath podcast and any of the podcast providers there. And, and, and thanks so much, Frankie, for having me on. I really appreciate it. So it's always great to talk to you. Yeah, always great to talk to you as well. And of course, uh, my grandma's from Limerick, as you are yourself. So it's a place very close to my heart. And if I, <laughs> when I tell my dad uh, that uh, I spoke to someone from Limerick, he'll immediately have to know every detail about you. So yeah, that's the way it goes. Get him uh, on the next podcast. Get him on yeah. the next podcast so you can chat to him. Yeah. He'd just sit there in silence, not knowing what to say, I think. Uh, <laughs> right, well, uh, Neil, it was brilliant to have you on and uh, have a good day. Excellent. Thanks, Frankie. And up the villa.